gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome back to My Two Cents Podcast. This is episode 90, which is titled Get Out. I am your host, G2. And without further ado, before I get into the topics of the day, let me read you off the National Food Days of the Week. Today, being August 28th, it is Cherry Turnovers Day. Tomorrow, August 29th, is Chop Suey Day. Also, More Herbs, Less Salt Day. August 30th, Toasted Marshmallow Day. And August 31st, the last day of August, Trail Mix Day. September 1st is Gyro Day, September the 2nd, Blueberry Popsicle Day, as well as International Baking Day and Grits for Breakfast Day. Then to finally to wrap this off, September the 3rd, Welsh Rare Bit Day, as well as Baby Back Ribs Day. Now, the reason why I titled this episode Get Out is because the two topics in particular, the first topic is to start off with, comes from ABC News as it reads, Uvalde School Board ununanimously approves police chief Pete Ariando's termination. As it reads, Uvalde school board officials unanimously voted Wednesday to fire Pete Ariando, the school district's police chief, exactly three months after the school shooting that killed 19 students and two teachers. The termination is effective immediately. Ariando was not in attendance at his termination hearing, out of concerns over his safeties. His attorney said in a 17-page statement released shortly before the community gathered Wednesday evening. His lawyer claimed that the district did not file proper legal procedures in proceeding with disciplinary action and that follow-up requests for access to district complaints or investigations have been ignored by the district, calling the proceedings an illegal and unconstitutional public lynching. Ariando has been the target of criticism for the delayed response to the May 24th tragedy. School officials have continued to face pressure to hold officials accountable for the 77 minutes it took before law enforcement breached a classroom door and killed an 18-year-old gunman. So, Pete Ariando has been fired, and I approve of this wholeheartedly because he was the man in charge of this whole thing. When you only got one person as a school shooter, one person, not a group, but one, going up in there and about to shoot up a school or doing their massacre business in which I despise to the highest. And you were the person like leading this charge and you saw the video. We all seen the video that's been released. I don't think I need to go over it more. And you saw how this police handled that. That was a complete disgrace. And yo dog, you were the top guy. You were guy leading this. So you got to go down with this. It's basically like when the ship hits like an iceberg. Basically, the Titanic, if you saw the movie, you saw the captain. He went down with the ship. So, Pete Ariando, this is your Titanic, dog. This is your legit Titanic moment. This tragedy was on your watch, and you went down with this. So, you had to get fired. That was the case, dog. You had to get all the blowback because you were the guy leading this. So, Pete Ariando, you have to go bye-bye, dude. It's not, uh, I would say it's not personal, but it's personal because people's kids are dead. And you could have stopped it. Yeah, sure, certain kids would have died. That was inevitable because this guy would have took uh, certain kids off. But the amount of kids that he did take, 19 kids and two teachers, while 77 minutes, that's an hour and 17 minutes. Dog, get out of here. So, yeah, this is your Titanic. This is you. You got to get out of here. So you're fired. And I think this should be a lesson to any other, like, police officer who's going to be the head of something this big because again and i don't mean to say this as a like put a downer on something but school shootings are starting to become the norm and that is a nasty sentence that nobody should ever have to say in their lifetime but it's the truth school shootings are starting to become a normal thing in american society and that's nasty but it is what it is so police officers that are going to be heading this type of situation that's going to be heading, running into uh, situations like this, you guys need to have a plan in place and go about it effectively. 
Don't let kids die. Don't let teachers die because of you guys waiting for so long the way that the Uvalde police officers did. You guys got to run up in there and try to take down this gunman as fast as you guys can because, again, 19 people, 19 children died in two teachers. That's nasty. 77 minutes. That's an hour and 17 minutes. Just saying. It took them that long to take care of this problem. Just want to say that again. Police officers that are around the schools and are supposed to be guarding the schools, I hope you guys have a plan in place to make sure no no other uh, Uvalde incident at least happens again. Now on to the second topic. I did not know this was uh, happening this week, but apparently it is. Uh, the school shooter, uh, Parkland school shooter, uh, Nathan Cruz's his trial started this week. I didn't know that, but thankfully I have the internet here. Uh, is this come from CNN? Nicholas Cruz's defense says his brain was poisoned by birth mother's addiction and death penalty trial. An attorney for Nicholas Cruz asked jurors Monday to consider the Parkland shooter's dysfunctional family life and his serious mental health issues when they decide whether to sentence him to death. In telling you Nick's story, in telling you the chapters of his life, we will give you reasons for life. Public defender Melissa McNeil said Monday in a Florida courtroom that is called migration. Migration is any reason that you believe that the death penalty is not an appropriate penalty in this case. In particular, McNeil highlighted his mother's, his birth mother's abuse of drugs and alcohol during his pregnancy, saying, Cruz showed signs from a young age of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Because Nicholas was bombarded by all these things, he was poisoned in the womb. Because of that, his brain was broken through no fault of his own, McNeil said. The comments were part of the defense opening statements in Cruz's death penalty trial for the killing of 17 people and wounding of 17 more at a high school in Parkland, Florida in February 2018. It was the first time jurors have heard from Cruz's defense. His attorneys deferred their initial opening statements, did not cross-examine any students or teachers who survived the shootings and asked only basic questions of their witnesses. The defense also called its first two witnesses, a woman who testified Cruz's birth mother used drugs and alcohol while pregnant, and Cruz's sister, who described life with a horrible mother. Cruz pleaded guilty in October to 17 counts of murder and 17 counts of attempted murder, and the ongoing phase of his criminal trial is to determine his sentence. Prosecutors are seeking the death penalty, while Cruz's defense attorneys are asking the juror, jury for a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Over three weeks in July and August, prosecutors argued Cruz was cold, calculated, manipulative, and deadly in carrying out his attack and called to stand in a series of students, teachers, police officers, and victims, family members to bear witness to horrified uh, details of that day. Prosecutors also lead jurors on a trip to the untouched scene of the February 14th, 2018 mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. On Wednesday, the Associated Press would have put out an article and it read, Psychologist, school shooter didn't get consistent treatment. A psychologist who treated Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz when he was eight years old testified Wednesday that Cruz was a peculiar child who had many behavioral and developmental issues, but his widowed mother seemed overwhelmed and wasn't consistent in her discipline or in getting him treatment. Frederick Kravitz said he began treating Cruz in 2007 on a referral from Cruz's psychiatrist with Linda Cruz, telling him her adopted son suffered from anxiety and nervousness and had trouble controlling his temper. But she also said he was friendly and got along fine with his peers. Claims that a neighbor, preschool teachers, and an elementary school special education counselor had testified were not true. Kravitz said that while he suggested weekly sessions for Cruz, his mother only brought him 15 times over a 13-month span, a decade before he murdered 17 people at Parkland Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on February 14, 2018. He said that was a major issue. Linda Cruz would agree that her son needed more consistent treatment and she needed to be more consistent in her discipline of him and his younger half-brother, Zachary, but did not follow through. 
She was 57, depressed from her husband's sudden 2003 death and dealing with two young children, he said. They would yell, throw tantrums, and break furniture. He said they raised it to an art form. Kravitz said Nicholas was easily set off, and Zachary seemed to derive some pleasure from pushing Nicholas's buttons. They would set off their mother, sometimes both boys seem to enjoy. She loses, well, she lost her cool frequently and backed down to the boys frequently, which only made the problems worse, he said. He said he tried to work with her, but she felt embarrassed by her son's behavior and felt people were judging her. Now, for Nicholas Cruz to be sentenced to death, the jury must be unanimous. That means all of them must be on one accord. They all have to agree to putting this kid to death. And to be honest with you, as a person that's just looking at this and reading the Wikipedia stuff, and I know people say Wikipedia is not always right, but you could just look at certain things. So somebody was really thorough with this incident right here, how they went through the incident, talk about the kid's backstory, what type of uh, mental health issues that he had. He had depression, uh, ADHD. Uh, what else did they say that he had in this freaking thing? Uh, what else? Oh, autism. So this kid had a lot of things going on with him. And to be honest with you, I don't know if the jurors are going to put him to death or not. To be honest with you, they might, they might, and they might not. I don't know what to say for this. The kid is guilty of, uh, doing what he said he did. That's the only thing that we do know of right now. He pleaded to that. So it's all about, are we going to put this kid to death, yay or nay? And to be honest with you, I don't know if the jurors are going to do that because they go through and hear that he had all these mental issues in his past life with uh, drug-addicted birth mother and drugs seeping into a baby system Things like that does happen, by the way, where a baby does get some type of conditioning wrong with them because of the mother that was carrying him was on drugs, alcohol addiction, all this type of stuff. And the baby comes out a different, uh, not like a regular baby from a mother that didn't do drugs or didn't do alcohol. So I don't know if the jurors are going to take that into consideration. I don't know what the deal is or, or the jurors is looking at uh, the bodies that the kid killed. Or did he have intent to kill or whatever the case may be? I don't know what to say for this. This would usually be an easy slam dunk in certain cases where you know the motive, you know this and that. But this kid's backstory and this kid's mental health problems, I don't know if the jurors are really going to agree to putting this kid to death. I don't know. We could find out sooner this week, maybe. Or in a couple weeks, I'll be keeping in contact with this thing. I just didn't know about this uh, situation going down personally. And I was shocked to look about it online. But again, sometimes the big news media outlets don't cover this type of stuff. And they just cover whenever the uh, verdict gets pulled in. They want to focus more on Donald Trump thing. And they were still focusing on that this week. Which again, I did not. You're not going to hear about Donald Trump in this episode. Except for really right here. But I wish that the news would focus on stuff like this so everybody can be in contact and be up to date and be like, oh, yeah, that thing is still going on. Okay, so what's up with it? Do we ever get some final resolution to this? So now that's what I'm here for. So hopefully uh, within the next week, I'll be able to give you what the verdict says. If they came up with a verdict to put this kid to death or they decided that they went a different route. But uh, just to keep you all in contact, that's what's going down with this parkland shooting a trial to see if they're going to put him to death or not on to the next subject speaking on death and still continuing on with the court systems this comes from yahoo news oklahoma readies for 25 executions in two years but critics ask why the rush beginning thursday this past thursday thursday we just had oklahoma is set to execute its first of more than two dozen death row inmates in over the next 29 months, an average of one execution per month over the next two years. If carried out in full, the unprecedented number of 25 executions would put to death 58% of the state's death row inmates, who included a flurry of incarcerated individuals with mental health disorders and others who have maintained their innocence. Given the state's complicated history with executions, which includes botched procedures and a number of 
exonerations of death row inmates, legal experts, and critics alike are perplexed by its fervor to kill so many people in such a short amount of time. Why the rush to execute 25 people? Tracy Pearl, a professor at the University of Oklahoma College of Law, well, acquired in an interview with Yahoo News calling 25 executions in two years horrifying. James Caldington was the first inmate to be executed and died on Thursday morning. James, who had been in jail since 1997 for killing a friend who refused to loan him $50 to buy cocaine, was denied clemency by Republican Governor Kevin Sitt, or Steet on Wednesday, despite the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board recommending him for clemency earlier this month. James repeatedly expressed remorse for the murder, and his lawyer said he had worked to turn his life around for the better behind bars, all to no avail. Oklahoma views its criminal justice as number one, infallible, and number two, punitive above all else. Pearl said, I think that the advent of DNA evidence has really shown us how often we get cases and even more serious capital cases wrong. In fact, according to the 2019 annual report by the National Registry of Exonerations, somewhere between 2% and 10% of all convicted individuals in U.S. prisons are innocents, a stat that many legal experts argue is far too high to legalize criminal punishment for anyone. All right, so there you have it right there. Oklahoma is set to do away with 25 uh, people that are on death row in two years. And people are having to question why. And just even reading that off with James Coddington being put to death after the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board recommended him for clemency, uh, that's still crazy. And for people that don't know what clemency is, clemency is the process by which a governor, president, or administrative board may reduce a defendant's sentence or grant a pardon. So they could have reduced his sentence down from him being on death row to just basically serving life in jail or to serve about 30 years or some odd years in jail. And they could have just given him time spent in jail. And he would probably would have been released or whatever have you. He just would have been off of death row. So for them to say that, yo, let's give him clemency and still the governor say, nah, we're not going to give him clemency. This kind of sets something like, yo, I don't know what's going on with Oklahoma. I don't know what the deal is. I know they want to place the laws, number one, whatever the sentence is, that's the sentence. But if DNA shows that you guys gotten the case wrong, you guys got to flip that in certain people's cases that are on death row. You guys got to let that new DNA be like tested in the situation. You guys can't be putting somebody to death if new DNA, new evidence is being brought out here. You guys can't, can't say, oh, well, uh, the bar is the bar. The sentence is a sentence. No, that's that's not the case at all. That's like if you come home and you see that a vase is broken and like one kid standing next to where the case, where the vase is broken. Yo, you not you just can't. Your immediate effect is to blame that kid because he's close to the base. First, you're going to ask what happened, but your mind's already going to be locked in on, okay, you broke that, and you're going to punish that kid that's standing next to that vase. And then if you happen to go back and look at the video, if you have a video camera in your house, you happen to see that another kid, or if you have a cat or somebody, they broke the vase, and your kid walked in the house literally like 10 minutes after the vase gets broken, and you see it on the video that the kid didn't break the vase. You have to get that kid off of punishment or you have to apologize for blaming that kid for breaking the vase. You don't just let the punishment stick with the kid. In this exact same instance with this situation, if new DNA comes around, guess what? You guys got to play that out. You guys got to see where that leads you to. You guys just can't say, well, the new DNA is, well, too bad, so sad. The guy's on death row or the guy's on death row. No, you guys got to Play this out. You guys got to see where this thing goes. And for this guy to have been given clemency by the pardon board and the governor still to say no, I don't know what to say for people on death row in Oklahoma. Pray for the people in Oklahoma. Literally, they're on death row. Some of them probably didn't do what they're being accused of. While on the other hand, in James' uh, situation, he did do what he was accused of. He went to jail. He was on death row, but 
people said that he turned his life around. He was doing better. He actually was becoming a changed man, but the governor still decided to put him to death. So please just pray for the people that are on death row in Oklahoma. Pray for the people that are uh, innocent. Let's hope that somebody with a actual clear mind and clear conscience and a clear heart can look at certain people's cases and see if new DNA evidence is coming out to then test that DNA out to still see if that person is guilty or if somebody is guilty and they actually did turn their life around, give them a lesser sentencing or whatever the case may have you. Because certain people don't deserve to die over some nonsense that happened years ago. Certain people are got to just pay the piper whenever it's time. But again, if legal experts and everybody that actually knows the law and that study the law and they made their life the law and they're questioning why Oklahoma is doing this in two years, 25 and two years, and they're asking why the rush, there's something here that's not being said out to the public. I don't know what it is. I hope that some legal experts can find out what it is. But for right now, just pray for the inmates that are going to be like terminated in the next two years. Cause dude, I know that's frightening for them. So again, just pray for them, man. Uh, off to the next subject. Uh, Joe Biden, he did announce, uh, this week that he will be doing student loan forgiveness and people had asked questions about, are they applied to me? What does that mean? Well, I have an article from CNBC.com and they have some answers to certain people's questions. The first one, how much of the debt could be forgiven? President Joe Biden announced Wednesday that most federal student loan borrowers will be eligible for some forgiveness up to $10,000 if you didn't receive a Pell Grant, which is a type of aid available to low-income undergrad students, and up to $20,000 if you did. Did I receive a Pell Grant? There's a good chance you received one part of the of your federal aid package while at college. Of the estimated 43 million borrowers, who will benefit from the administration's forgiveness plan, more than 60% or Pell Grant recipients, according to the White House. If you're unsure whether you receive the Pell Grant as part of your federal aid package, you can check your account on studentaid.gov on the main page of your account. There's a section titled My Aid. Alternatively, you can check with the financial aid office of the college you attend to see if they can provide you with that information. Who's eligible? The relief will be limited to borrowers who make less than $125,000 per year or married couples or heads of households earning less than $250,000. If your income was below these caps in either 2020 or 2021, you should be eligible. Which loans qualify? Big picture, the vast majority, roughly 37 million borrowers, will be eligible for the forgiveness based on their loan type and then as long as they also fall under the income cap because their debt is under what's called the William D. Ford Federal Direct Loan Program. That includes direct Stanford loans and all direct subsidized and unsubsidized federal student loans. Under the direct program, parent plus and grand loans are also eligible for the relief. Then it gets more complicated. As of now, the Education Department is saying that any loans it holds qualify. That means the roughly 5 million borrowers who have a commercially held federal family education loan may be excluded. About the same number of borrowers have FFEL loans that are with the government and they need not worry. Borrowers urge eager to know if their FFEL loans are commercially held can go to studentaid.gov and sign in with their FSA ID. The information should be available at the My Aid tab. So Biden was the first president, at least to my knowledge, and I don't hold me to this. This is just me going off the top of the head of this right now. My knowledge should be the first president that actually did do something with student loans and forgiveness, to be honest with you, because I don't know if any president in the past did forgive like student loans because every time I begin to any of my college classes before certain professors of mine would talk about how much they have debt and they would mention how they wish that they got rid of their student debt so the president at the time would get rid of their student debt so I don't know if 
any president has done it before. I just know that this president, Biden, he does have a plan to set up for uh, some forgiveness for up to $10,000 if you didn't receive a Pell Grant and up to $20,000 if you did receive a Pell Grant. So hopefully that helps out certain uh, college students and former college students that are probably professors now. And I don't understand why people were complaining about this. You had certain people complain about this online. Certain people complain because they paid all their uh, student debt back. And now this is coming around and people are more or less. I feel that they're just jealous. Certain people that this thing didn't come around whenever it was their time and that they were the suckers to pay up for their student loans. I mean, dog. Here's my thing with this. Again, I don't like owing people money, so if you could pay it up, pay it up as quickly as you can. That's always been my deal. And if you don't have to take the money from somebody, if you can go without, just go without. You don't have to take the loan. You can be okay without having this situation or that. That's fine. But if you owe somebody money, whether it's a person or a industry like college, Dude, just pay that mess back, man. I know. Just pay it back. Don't don't have somebody like breathing down your neck because you hear from people in entertainment. You hear from people that went to college, that graduated college. They will say that hey, they still get calls from their uh, alma mater and say, hey, uh, you have a balance of this to pay up some of your student loans. Dude, I understand you're upset that you paid off your student loans off and now this thing's rolling around and that could help you without you paying for your student loans. I get it. You're just upset, but it's okay. It's a part of the game, man. You just wasn't, it just wasn't your time and it just wasn't meant for you. So you just got to just roll with the punches. Just roll with it. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. Don't be jelly. Don't be mad at these people that get to have that uh, situation happen for them. Just be happy. Okay, now on to the next topic, and this comes from USA Today Sports. Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa, to have jury award reduced by $1 million after a mistake discovered. Uh, earlier this week, on a Wednesday, it was announced that uh, Vanessa Bryant was awarded $16 million by a federal jury, but it had to be reduced down to $15 million after a juror discovered an error on the verdict form and informed the court about it. As the article reads, Vanessa Bryant prevailed in her civil trial against Los Angeles County Wednesday after the jury of nine ununanimously found the county liable for damages to her and fellow plaintiff Chris Chester, who was awarded $15 million by the same jury. It was the nine jurors' intent that both plaintiffs, Vanessa Bryant and Christopher Chester, to be awarded equally, U.S. District Judge John F. Walter noted in court Wednesday. Bryant has agreed to this change. Her attorney said in court Friday that Bryant felt it was just result that she got the same amount as Chester. Both had brought their cases to the trial after filing lawsuits against the county several months after they each lost spouses and daughters in a helicopter crash in January 2020. So, they get $15 million. Vanessa Bryan is donating that money to the Mamba and Mamacita uh, Foundation. And what that foundation does is that they offer sports education to undeserved athletes. And at the first when I read that, I thought, do they? I don't know if they know what undeserved mean. Undeserved means not warranted, merited, or earned. So what they're trying to say is that they're going to give... Uh, training to kids that are don't have the financial needs or financial uh, opportunities to get the type of training that these other kids that have the money for it. So that's what the Mamba and Mamacitas Foundation is basically to give kids that don't have the financial support, don't have the backing from either parents or community or whatever may have you. They're going to give them the opportunity to learn athletics. So that's what that means. So Vanessa is putting that money back into the community. That's a good thing. Cool for them. Uh, I just don't like that. Why is somebody still going to take photos of a crash like that? That's disgusting. That's not cool. You ain't got to do all that. But 
right is right, wrong is wrong, and right prevailed in the end. So I'm congratulating Vanessa and Mr. Chester for getting what they needed from the county. And I hope that people, well, officers in other countries and or states will now know not to do what these officers did because that was, again, disgusting and tacky for them to take photos of a helicopter crash and try to show it off to other people just because it was a helicopter crash of a famous celebrity athlete being in it. So, again, congratulations to Vanessa and Mr. Chester for getting $15 million from the Los Angeles County. Now, off to my next topic, as this comes from NBC News. Black Alabama pastor says he was wrongfully arrested while watering his neighbor's flowers. A black pastor in Alabama said he was wrongfully arrested and charged with a crime while watering his neighbor's flowers. Video of Michael Jennings arrested May 22nd was released by his lawyers this week, clearing the way for legal action against the officers they said in a news release. In a 20-minute long video obtained by NBC News, a Childersburg officer approaches Jennings while he is standing on the side of a home watering plants. When the officer asked Jennings what he was doing, Jennings responded, watering flowers. The officer asked if a car parked in the driveway belongs to Jennings, but Jennings says it is his neighbor's car. The officer asks Jennings if he lives at the home, and Jennings explains that he does not. The officer then tells Jennings that police received a phone call about a suspicious person at the home. Who's saying that? Jennings asks. They called about it. I don't know. The officer responds. I'm supposed to be here. I'm Pastor Jennings. I live across the street. Jennings says as he continues to water the flowers. I'm looking out for the house while they're gone. When the officer asks for identification, Jennings declines to provide it. Telling the officer that he has not done anything wrong. He also tells the officer that he's former law enforcement. You want to lock me up? Lock me up. I'm not showing y'all anything. Jenny says, I'm going to continue to water these flowers. I don't care who called y'all. Lock me up and see what happens. Jennings is ultimately placed in handcuffs for not providing identification. The ordeal started because Jennings' neighbor, a white woman, called police to report a suspicious person. When she realized that it was Jennings outside of the house, she apologized to him. He lives right there, and he would be watering their flowers. This is probably my fault, she tells the three officers who responded to the scene. Despite the woman telling the police that she knows Jennings, he is still arrested. An attorney for Jennings said his client was charged with obstructing government operations. A municipal judge dismissed the charge in June. This video makes it clear that these officers decided they were going to arrest Pastor Jennings less than five minutes after pulling up and then tried to rewrite history claiming he hadn't identified himself when that was the first thing he did, attorney Daniel said. This was not only an unlawful arrest, it's kidnapping, it's irrational, irresponsible, and illegal. Under Alabama law, an officer may stop any person abroad in a public place if they suspect that person is committing, has committed, or is about to commit a crime. Attorneys for Jennings said their client did not have to provide identification because he was not in a public place the news release states uh okay so i saw this video i don't understand what the deal was they get a call again this is still going down to the premise of what i've said before people mind your business if somebody's not busting into somebody's house and you just see somebody watering plants for the love of god why are you going to try to get at somebody why are you going to try to go at somebody just mind your business but Okay, let's go on this trail here. The woman calls the cops. Later on, the cops come around, ask this dude about who he is. He tells who he is, and they want some ID. He says, nah, I'm just watering the plants. They arrest him because he is, doesn't want to give identification to them, and they're getting upset because you're challenging their authority. If we're really going to be honest here. They arrest him. The woman walks over and says, okay, she knows who he is, and then she says, yeah, they're friends. She's that he's friends with the neighbors and he probably more likely is watering their plants for them because they're out of town. Like I said, if you see the video, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. And that should have been it right there. That should have been it right there on uncuff from everything else. What were you guys doing? I am off that whole thing of, yo, if you see somebody, you got to call the cops. No. Here's where we call the cops. If you see somebody snooping around the house, looking into windows and all that type of stuff, you be suspicious. And if they try to bust into the windows, that's when you call in. You say, hey, yo, this guy just bust into my neighbor's yard, bust into my neighbor's houses and all that type of stuff. 
I'm going to keep on recording them. I hope you guys come here and here's the address, blah, blah, blah. But if you see somebody outside watering some plants, I promise you they're not there to try to beat up on a house, try to bust a house of anything. Why are they not trying to burn plants down, burn down the grass, burn down everything around the house? No, the guy was there <laughs> freaking watering plants. Again, this is a nosy neighbor, not minding their business. And then she comes to realize that she does know the person later and say, hey, okay, I made a mistake. My bad, blah, blah, blah. So she at least has some fault. She understands that she did wrong. She understands that this isn't somebody that's just looming around. So she tries to make it right. And again, the cops still have him under arrest. This whole thing was an idiocrity. I'm glad this thing got tossed out. I don't know if the two officers in question are going to be like, like be demonetized for that not demonetized but like get dropped down for that they probably get a slap on the wrist because they were recorded off of this or something i don't know but again this goes off to people that are just watching their neighbor or watching around their neighborhood or have the neighborhood watch type situation yes you could be suspicious of somebody we're all suspicious of everybody that's human nature but the thing is this if you don't see them doing anything wrong that's when you gotta like calm yourself down like all right they're not doing anything wrong they're just doing this mind your business but if you see them doing something wrong okay call the cops that's when you call the cops and this guy again was doing nothing wrong he was watering plants so again when you see somebody doing something wrong around your neighbor's house or something like that go ahead call the cops but if they are not don't get the cops involved especially if it's a black individual because by oh boy if you haven't figured it out yet Black people and cops, we do not have the greatest relationship. It just doesn't mix. So if you could, please stop calling the cops on a black person. If you just think they look suspicious, don't do that. They have to do something to merit you actually calling them, okay? Now, on to the final topic today. This is something that caught me by surprise this week. Um, There was a artificial intelligence rapper called FN Mecca was signed by Capitol Records this week, and he quickly got dropped after it was found out that the robot rapper was accused of appropriating black culture and dropping the N-words in its songs. As an article comes from the Daily Beast, as the title reads, Black artists sound awful why AI rapper FN Mecca was horribly offensive. Artificial intelligence disrupted the music industry this week when a major recording label signed and then quickly dropped a robot rapper who casually dropped the n-word in their lyrics many black artists felt the decision to sign the ai rapper in the first place was a racist slap in the face real talk anybody who was involved with research development and signing this artist at capital music should have their resignation submitted or their jobs terminated rock singer ali atkins of ali a and the agency in phoenix told the daily beast because that just means you don't get 50 Fs about the music, you just care about making a dollar. FN Mecca, the rapping robot, was created in 2019 by Anthony Martini and Brandon Lee, two non-black men who are co-founders of the virtual reality record label Factory New, according to XXL Magazine. The digital rapper who had tan skin, flaunted green braids, and a faux hawk, and tattoos that were inked on his shaven skull, in between his eyebrows, under an eye, down the side of his face, suggesting gang designs. He wore a spectrum ring, a gold grill, and a black puffer jacket that has long been embodied of hip-hop culture. His eyes shone a bright neon turquoise. Okay, here's my thing with this. Uh, they will continue to go on to list off more artists who say they had a problem with it. One artist, uh, Mick Quay Morton, a 15-year-old pianist who was trained at the Washington uh, Jazz Arts Institute and currently attends the Governor's School for the Artists in Virginia, insisted FM Mecca is an, is an offensive representation of Black people that caters to stereotypes while disregarding the diversity and versatility of Black musicians. Representation means accurately depicting all Black people from all backgrounds, places, and experiences. He told the Daily Beast, FM Mecca represents all the general stereotypes of what a black rapper is. 
okay, here's my deal with this. I didn't like it when I first saw it. I thought this thing was a complete joke. I thought this thing was a cartoon. I don't know what people thought when they saw this thing. I don't know who allowed this thing to even get into the hip-hop sphere, into the into just hip-hop in general. I know hip-hop is the most like opening space that you can get into. And I know people might say opening space. How is it opening? Listen, hip hop gets allows anybody to come in, literally anybody, whether you are a drug addict, a drug dealer, a person that's in school, a person that dropped out, a person that got a college degree, uh, a person that had a blue collar background, a white collar background, a person that grew up in a poor house, a rich house. I mean, there's so many people that are going into hip hop, but I think what people are majority seeing is that people that are coming from are telling the story of them being in a bad position selling drugs to get out doing gang life or gang activity and all that type of stuff and then they make it by rap and their rap is usually that that's what people focus in on rap on no rap is so much more hip-hop is so much more hip-hop is the diverse of a lot of people you got a lot of people not just selling you on drugs and women and booze and all this type of stuff. No, you have people literally teaching you about substance. You have people teaching you about um, culture, about the black culture, what people have been through in the past, where they want to see black people go into the future. You just got to decipher it through those lyrics of what people are telling you. You got to get across the beats. You have to go past the uh, schemes of how people place their lyrics you got to just look into the message of what the song is or what somebody's trying to tell you of a specific song or what they're trying to preach to you in a song understand hip-hop literally allows anybody to come in and when i saw this thing on good morning america and that thing popped in my face i said what is this and then i thought okay fine this is where we're going okay let's see where we're going here and then when all this stuff started coming out, i'm like yeah no wonder this thing got quickly signed and quickly dropped within a heartbeat. And you know what? I'm not going to miss this thing at all. If you were to Google this thing, you just saw that. You're like, what is this? If you go to YouTube, you see all the little shorts that this thing has. I didn't care for it when I saw it. I really didn't because a lot of this thing represents is nothing but just stupidity to me. I hate a lot of the rappers that be doing some of the things this guy was depicting itself, to be honest. I don't like the big puffer jacket on some of the rappers. I don't like the clothing that these rappers wear. I don't like that a lot of these rappers do be selling these kids fake dreams, literally, that they didn't even experience themselves. They're just selling something to a community of people that are living this thing, and they just think that that's the only way you can get out of a certain situation. No, by selling drugs, doing this. No, I didn't like it and for seeing this computerized crap in my face that was not i didn't think about it the first time but when i really started more think about it, i said no nah, this thing ain't right and then i listened to a hip-hop scholar black man joe budden he was able to encapsulize why this thing is completely wrong for hip-hop him and his co-host uh parks ish and Ice, they were able to explain why this thing is a complete travesty to hip-hop itself. And they even said, yo, this is where hip-hop was going. Because hip-hop doesn't belong to black people no more. It was sold by black people to white people for some time. But black people don't even own hip-hop anymore. So this was predestined to happen. And the only thing, if you don't like it, you guys got to try to not support that thing. And what happens? Literally, as they're talking in their episode pop what happened they will get an update that capital records have decided to drop this freaking ai character this robot this whole complete disastrous thing and i'm glad when i heard it, i was like this is something that i thought should have happened people are going to complain about it and the only way you can get rid of something is just what by not showing it any support don't show any support. Do whatever you can do to get this crap out of here. And Effin Mecca is officially dead. It is literally being officially dead because on Pitchfork, you will get an article saying Effin Mecca backer walks away from project. Rapper claims to be unpaid for work as Mecca's voice. After the Avatar rapper was dropped by Capitol Records, executive Anthony Martini announced that he no longer that he's no longer involved. 
Kyle the Hooligan alleges that Mecca's developers promised financial compensation and then ghosted. Ever since digital rappers and TikTok influencer Effin Mecca was removed from Capitol Records roster, more details about the project have started to come to light. Anthony Martini, who co-founded the Mecca backing company, Factory New, alongside Brandon Lee, releasing a statement today, August 25th, announcing that he's exiting Factory New and walking away from the Effin Mecca project. Martini clarified that he is not the creator of Mecca, but joined the team early in 2020, following the release of some of Mecca's early singles. It's becoming apparent that I should have done more diligence before joining. He said, I take responsibility for diving into a project without examining its history. He also referenced the allegations shared recently by Houston rapper Kyle the Hooligan. Kyle claims that he is the original voice of Mecca in a video posted to his official Instagram account and a subsequent interview with Vice. The rapper alleged that Lee enlisted him to voice the character, promised him equity into the company percentages, and then ghosted him prior to Mecca signing with Capital. He added that the creators used his voice, his sound, used the culture, and literally just left him high and dry. Kyle continued, I didn't get a dime off of nothing, and they got record deals. Martini addressed Kyle in his statement today. In the past few days, I've learned of Kyle, the hooligan experience with Mecca, which is deeply at odds with my core values, he wrote. I believe that artists must always be at the core of the creative process and must be compensated fairly. Martini noted in a follow-up email to Pitchfork that while he was unfamiliar with the circumstances surrounding Kyle being brought into the project initially, he reached out to Kyle when he heard about it, and Kyle explained the story, which sounded plausible. Kyle the Hooligan's representative declined to comment on Martini's statement. So there you go. Mecca is officially dead. It is gone. It is out of here. Nobody's going to miss that stupid clown of a thing. I just don't understand how executives can easily sign on to something like this. And this, by the way, was the second topic where I was talking about get out of here. Uh, I don't understand how music executives can easily sign on to this buffoonery. Literally, this whole thing was going to be completely trashed by the crowd. I don't understand how a big recording label, and you guys got researchers, you guys got people to do legitimate research about an artist if you want to sign them, literally go into their background, know what type of singles they have. You have people diving into people's social media stuff and seeing all this type of stuff. You guys have these things or at least you should for a big company. How do you guys miss all the red flags? I mean, just every red flag is staring at you blatantly in the face. That means you did not care. You guys were just trying to make a dollar. All the artists that were calling you out for trying to make a dollar, they're exactly right. You guys were trying to make a dollar, and then once the crowd quickly snapped their fingers and said, nah, we ain't rocking with this, we see what y'all trying to do, you guys quickly came to your senses because it wasn't going to make you money. You guys decided to pull out of the deal, apologize to the black community, and you guys knew what it was. You guys knew what was up. This whole thing was a whole big just mess. It had mess written all over it. And I'm glad to see the F and Mecca like, thing die. I am. I didn't like seeing it on Gene Good Morning America. I didn't like looking at it on YouTube when I even had to search it on YouTube. I even felt dirty having to even look at that and research it on that, to be honest with you. Because, again, I don't like wasting time with something like this that I know is going to be a colossal fail and a flop. This FMECA thing was going to be a fail and a flop. I just don't understand how record executives didn't see that, to be honest with you. Even if you're going to make trying to make a quick dollar, you guys at least got to try to, like, Hide it behind some type of magic, some type of something to fool the smoke and mirrors. You understand? To fool your audience. You guys got to hide it behind something. This, this right here, this was straight up no smoke and mirrors. This was just blatant a red flag in everybody's face and slapping everybody's face saying, I'm mocking you and your culture, your whole fan base that listens to rap. You guys are getting mocked and I'm going to mock you. And you guys are going to pay me money for it. And the black community said, nah, we're not going to rock with that. We're going to get you out of here. So, Mecca is dead. It's out of here. I'm glad that the 
uh, rap community, the rap listeners listened and saw this as what it was, a money grab from a company, and they said, nah, we ain't rocking with this thing, and they got it out of here. And Capitol Records, and any other record label, if you think about doing something like this, and if you think about wanting to get an artificial rapper, because it's going to happen, get a black rapper to rap a black virtual character. At least then, it will at least make sense. Not this joke of a thing that you had right here. Just want to throw that out to you. And do some research on who is voicing the rapper. Do some research on who is backing the rapper. Do some research on all those type of things before you want to sign said virtual rapper. Okay? Now, with that being said, let me get you guys out of here. You guys know where you can find me at on my socials. is in the uh, episode descriptions if you don't know. Also in the episode description, you can find the phone line for the suicide hotline. Please, for the love of God, if you feel any type of way. And I say this every episode, and I really do mean this. If you feel any type of way, feeling suicidal, feeling unappreciated, all that type of stuff, you think that life's not worthy, please call that hotline. Please call the hotline. I do not want nobody to drift away off this planet because you guys feel that you guys are not worth it anymore. Please, I beg of you. You are worthy. You are worth love. Somebody wants to see you every day. Somebody would like to talk to you every day. There is somebody out here that personally you know you might not even know that likes to see your face whenever you walk into a room i guarantee you, please do not end your life call the suicide hotline please please i will like to thank apple podcast google podcast podbeam audible spotify all these other podcasts uh networks where you find the podcast i would like to thank them because without them i wouldn't be here and without you guys the listeners I, this whole thing wouldn't be where it's at right now. I am greatly appreciated for everybody that listens to the episode. Trust me, I greatly, greatly appreciate you guys. Always remember. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. Please have a great Sunday. Please do not trip or stress over anything. Trust me, we're going to get through this. We're almost at the end of the year. We're about to enter September this week. So please just try to make it. Please, please, please. Okay? And with that, this has been My Two Cents Podcast presented by G2. I am G2. He is I and I am him. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. I love you all. Please have a great Sunday. Be blessed. Say a prayer for each other. Don't be a dick. And with that... Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.